0: Good evening. It's wonderful to be back with you all this evening. I always love coming back to first, so thank you. This evening we'll be looking at Hebrews, meditating on Hebrews chapter 12. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 12. before we read that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to open your word and to meditate on it, that this is the the word that we live on, that we need. We know that we don't always obey it. We know that it isn't on our hearts and on our minds as it should be, and yet we pray that you would continue to impress it on us. And we pray that even here. And yet we also pray that this wouldn't be an exercise for intellect, That this wouldn't be that we might know your word without knowing it truly. Without knowing it in love, without knowing it in practice. That it would infiltrate our very bloodstream. And we pray, Lord, that you would guard it. That you would guard it in our lives, that you would guard it tonight. That we would make proper application, proper understanding. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1, we will be reading verses 1 to 11, and our primary focus this evening will be on verses 3 to 11, but we will read from verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Ascends the reading of God's word. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's one of the verses we just read. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm sure we can all either remember being disciplined or some of us may be being disciplined now by our parents. We can reach back and think of those times. For some of us like me, it's not so long ago, so it's a little more clearly in my mind. And Being disciplined. Receiving the training from your parents and I can tell you, I remember times when I didn't like it. There were even times when I disagreed. I mean, shocker, times I disagreed with the punishments I received. That that's not right. I shouldn't have to go through that. That's, that's unjust. And then I was thinking about this more, and I thought, and I also remember times of different types of discipline. Discipline in sports, when you would be preparing for the regular season of whatever sports you played and generally most sports involve running and conditioning. And you would be in practices maybe weeks before the season started just running and doing drills and running back and forth and that with coach with the whistle and another wheezer and another wheezer, and you hated it. At least I did. I didn't like running. I didn't like this one. I didn't like training. Discipline isn't fun, is it? Training isn't fun. We don't like it. And it doesn't feel good. And yet, I think we accept discipline when we think of parents and kids. We can even accept training and discipline when we think of sports. But what do we think about the spiritual realm and discipline? What about our spiritual lives? Do we accept discipline there? See, in our passage today, we are dealing with discipline, with training, with correction, with all of these things, and I wonder: Can we accept this? What's the Christian response in this? What this passage from Hebrew shows us is that our response to discipline is to endure. And if we could summarize this whole. Chapter or passage, I should say, that we just read, it would be that faithful endurance comes from our Father's discipline. Faithful endurance comes from our Father's discipline. We can start seeing that as we look a little at the background of our text. You see, Hebrews was written to a group, a congregation that was facing persecutions and trials. If you flip back a couple chapters to chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, It says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. This congregation had been afflicted and persecuted. And the author of Hebrews is saying, remember that. Remember what your response was then. Remember what happened then. He's also saying, right now, this may be what you're facing and undergoing. He wanted his audience to endure, to persevere. In verse 36 of chapter 10, he says, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That it's by our endurance... That's by our faithful perseverance that we will receive what has been promised. Verses 38 and 39 of chapter 10, the author says, My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Constantly, this call: called persevere. Persevere, endure, stand firm. And then if you would look at chapter 11, what you'd see is the famous hall of faith, those saints in the past in the Old Testament who stood on faith or who acted in faith and are presented to us as examples, which then leads to the passage that we read today. And what we see in these 11 verses is the proper focus that we should have in discipline. And we see that in verses 1 to 6. We see the reason for discipline in verses 7 and 8. And then we also see the acceptance and the benefits we have in discipline in verses 9 through 11. So first, a proper focus in discipline. Chapter 12 begins and says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but it culminates in Jesus Christ. See, the proper focus we are to have in, in discipline and training is to look not only to the saints and their example, but ultimately and fully to Christ. He is the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, the originator. And we look to him. Now I'm sure it doesn't come as any surprise to hear, well, when you're going through trials or discipline, look to Jesus. Now, that's the right answer, but what exactly does that mean? The author of Hebrews is telling them that they must endure their own persecutions and trials as Jesus did, by faith. In verse 3 it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart consider what jesus has done consider him and don't lose heart and then there's something interesting that happens when you if you're thinking of this the suffering congregation and then you would think of telling them this this body of believers that is suffering and saying you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood does that sound very comforting? How would, you, how would you take that? How do you take that with your own trials if, if someone would say to you, Your trials aren't to the point that you think they are, you haven't yet shed your blood, have you? Does it almost seem kind of heartless at first? Does, what's, what's going on here? Well, again, we're called to look to Jesus here because He did he did resist to shed his blood. and We're called to do the same. But What the author is doing is he's helping them get the right perspective in their trial. It's our natural inclination to take what trials we have and to make them worse, to add to them. We could be facing a very legitimate struggle and do that. Take, for example, the diagnosis of cancer. This is, this is bad. This is a trial and a struggle, and no one would deny that, but how do we make that worse? Well, what do we do when we start looking to the future and think, well, what's going to happen to my loved ones if I die? What's going to happen when I'm gone? What are the treatments going to be like? How bad will this be? And you see, we can start doing what if-ing, what, what ifing, if you would call it that. What if this? What if this? And making it far worse than what it actually is. Not to sugarcoat it, it's not good, but we start facing a battle that's become way beyond us. And see, the Hebrews were, the author of the Hebrews is saying that his congregation has done the same. Some are falling away, some are rejecting the faith, some are leaving it, and he's saying, You haven't yet given all. And that's exactly what we are called to do. Some of them were leaving before they've even given their life. And that wasn't even required of them yet. It may not have even been required of them, and they were leaving. It's easy to lose the right perspective, but the perspective we have to keep is what we are in Christ. Not only who we are in him, but what our obligation is in him. What we're then called to do by nature of bearing his name. As a Christian, what does that mean? Does that mean I'll get my best life now? Does it mean I seek that? Does it mean I look for that and place all of my hope in that? For the audience of the Hebrews, the persecution they faced became greater than what they thought they could bear, failing all the time to realize that the true burden had already been borne. All they had to do was run and endure in this race, endure in the faith. Keep their faith in their Savior, and they would succeed. The race would be won. Don't turn back then. Don't turn, stand firm. And the author isn't discounting what they were facing. He's merely saying, this is how you face it. This is how you stand. Verses five and six continue and say, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chasten everyone he accepts as his son. This is actually a very powerful few verses. Here he's quoting from Proverbs chap- from Proverbs three, eleven and twelve. And what he's actually showing us is the, the focus we have in discipline is to see that it means that we are God's children. And he says to not make light of it or not lose heart of it, and this would be to not despise and scorn God's discipline, thinking, God, why are you doing this? What right do you have to do this? I don't need this. That would be making light of the Lord's discipline. There's no reason for me to go through this. Or else the other option is to lose heart in the face of it. To think this is worse than what I can go through. What he's saying is no, both of these things are wrong. And what this actually means, the trials you're actually going through show that you're God's child. You're his children. So mark that he actually loves us. This is completely opposite of what we would think. When we think of parents and discipline, we almost exclusively think of it as negative. We can think back and think negative, and what I mean by that is you did something wrong, and so you were punished. You did this, and so you received that punishment. There's a negative consequence, but that's not exactly what the discipline here is. It can contain that, but the discipline he's talking about here is all encompassing. It's training, it's discipline, it's correction. It's hardships, and how do we bear them? How do we go through that properly? Well, the perspective to have is to look to Jesus. And then it's also to look to our trials and see that they are marks that we belong to God. And that's the proper focus to have in the midst of discipline. And then he moves to the reason for discipline, in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says to endure hardship as discipline. You see, just because you're disciplined doesn't mean you're being punished. It's to train. It's it's the what we started with that coach analogy, that coach illustration, running a a practice. We need our conditioning up. With what we're gonna face in fighting for God's kingdom, we need to be trained. And that's hard. And so, in a very real sense, to use that illustration, God is the coach blowing the whistle. And we do have to endure another wheezer, another lap. Not always, not because he wants to do this, because he's just happy to make us suffer, but for our good. So that is one of the reasons that we undergo to grow. And you know, I think if I asked this question to you, you would all probably have the same answer. In your periods of life, when did you experience the most spiritual growth? Was it in good times and easy times or hard times? my own short life, I know that most of my growth happened when it was a hard trial. Something I didn't want to go through and had to and grew through it. And I know that's the case for all the saints. Not that we can't grow through good times, but when we truly grow, it's generally when we're, 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 we're in trials. Now that doesn't make us then say, Lord, bring more trials on me. But it is enough for us to endure the ones we have, to have the right attitude and perspective in it. And that's really what we want to ask. Do we see the benefit of the trials we face? Do you see the benefit of not liking your job and having to do that every day? See, depending on how you use that, you could turn that in such a way and grow through it. And it can be a trial that you're actually enduring for your faith because you're doing it to obey God. You don't like your job, but you're doing it for His glory. And thus it's sanctifying. Or what about your anxiety or the depression you might face? Does that trial become something that makes you turn to God even more? Verses 7 and 8, with saying, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? This is very true. What kids are not disciplined by their father? Well, the ones who aren't have parents that don't love them. Or at least don't know how to express it. Even our children know this, we know this for our children, that if you really love them, you discipline and train them. Because if you don't, that shows you don't care about them. If you did, you wouldn't let them get away with what they do. You wouldn't let them do these things that are destructive to themselves. And you would also make sure they experience pain. That you allow them to go through things that they don't want. And it's the same for us. To be allowed to go through things that we don't want to go through for the greater good meaning by that God's glory and our growth, and drawing nearer to him. And do you hear this? Do you hear this, that this is completely opposed to what we think and yet exactly what we need? Exactly what we're called to go through. And you could ask, how loving is it for parents not to discipline their kids? And we know that it's not loving. And is it, is it any different for our Father in heaven? We can experience discipline for many different ways. You can look in God's Word and see this. David experienced a type of discipline because he committed a sin. He committed adultery, he committed murder, and he was disciplined for it. He lost his own son, his family was in shambles, and this was a corrective measure for David. He had been going where he shouldn't, and, and our father, who loved him, intervened. And corrected this problem. You can think of Job. Job didn't do anything wrong or anything to warrant, in that sense, a punishment or a correction. But what he experienced was for the greater good of God's kingdom, for God's name, and for his own good. Ultimately, he grew through it. He was sanctified through it. And then you can think of Paul. Paul, who had this thorn in the flesh and prayed repeatedly for it to be removed, and it wasn't. And I think we all can relate to that. Constant prayers for something and it's not removed. And we might think, why? And this is exactly where the devil would come in. This is exactly where our doubt would come in and say, you see, God must not love you. You're praying and he doesn't answer you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. And yet, what this passage is saying, no, that's exactly the point. He does care. He does care about us. Now, we might also think, though, but if we look at everyone else around us, the rest of the world, they experience everything we do. They experience cancer. They experience jobs they don't like. They experience all these things. So what does that mean? I mean, is God disciplining them? Well, not in the same way. See, the difference, even though the circumstances we might face is the same that the world does, the outcome is completely different. What they do in a Christian is completely different. Because for a Christian, they draw us near to God. Even though they're so difficult, that's what they do. That's not what happens to an unbeliever. To an unbeliever and the circumstances they face, they're just rotten circumstances. Maybe they're punishments from God, but they're not a corrective measure in the sense that it's a loving father reaching out to them and saying, I'm going to allow you to go through this because in the end... It will result in the good of the kingdom and in your own good. And that's what this passage is saying. We have such a father. When you think about being a child of God, this is truly amazing. He cares enough about us to do this. What's interesting about the analogy of parents and kids is that no one has the same right to discipline the child as the parent does. And God reserves that right for us, because we're his. He possesses the right to do this, and it shows how much he loves us. And this is the reasons for discipline, people of God. This is why we go through them. This is why we are trained. This is why we are corrected. You see, the secret to endure in this discipline the secret to stand firm, what the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to do is ultimately trust. And I would say, people of God, do you trust in the Lord's discipline? Do you trust it? Let me tell you, that's not easy. That is hard. Do you trust when what's exactly happening that you don't want to happen when that's taking place. That thing you are worried about that ultimately starts happening to you, maybe it is, for the, for the Hebrews, it could have been religious persecution. But that thing that you don't want to go through, that you don't think you can even go through, and it happens. And it's prolonged. There's no end in sight. Do we trust? The way we trust is to see Jesus, is to see what he endured. And you'll see that, and we'll see that this Friday and Good Friday and what happened. He endured to that point. He experienced hell. So we don't have to. So what we have to do is respond and walk in his footsteps. You see, we need to understand the difference between Jesus as our example. And as our substitute. Jesus is our example is, yes, we, we act like he does. But we understand by that, that by our actions, even by our enduring through hardships, that doesn't mean we're saving ourselves. It mean It means we're already his, we're already saved, and we're walking as he did to be sanctified. So this is the reason for discipline. Discipline that in verse 8 makes it clear all God's children will go through. You cannot escape it. Nor should we desire to. We don't look for them and want them. But when they come, we make the most of them. Trusting in God. Third, we move to the acceptance and the benefits of discipline in verses 9 and 11. Basically, we could ask, what do we gain by it? And we've already touched on this, but what do we gain by this discipline? What do we gain by all that's happening here? Verse 9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father's spirits and live? Now, this makes this a great argument. It's logical. It makes sense. If we're willing to accept the discipline of our earthly parents understanding why they have to do that, we must be willing to undergo our Father's training and our Father's discipline. But then look what it says. It says, how much more should we submit to the Father's Spirits and live? Through this enduring, at the end of the line, at the end of our struggle here on earth, the end of our trials is life. The end of shedding blood is life. That's a great mystery of what the cross is. Through death came life. Through burial came resurrection. Through God's discipline came our salvation. This is what we can't miss. That our trials are not because God doesn't love us, they're because he does. This passage says that God is treating us as sons, he's treating us as his children. He's treating us like he treated Jesus. Jesus. Earlier in Hebrews chapter five verse eight, in speaking about Jesus, it says, "Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered." Obviously, we know Jesus didn't need to learn obedience in the sense that he was a sinner, but he did learn obedience through being, through suffering, through discipline, and he endured to the cross. Remember, that is our example, and that's him as our substitute. Not just as our example, but as him who accomplished what we couldn't. And thus, what we're called to do is to trust. And the result and the benefits of discipline is that we gain, in our likeness to Christ and in his image, we gain holiness, our passage says. In verse 11, it says that it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. How odd to think that through pain and trial comes righteousness and peace. But that's what happens. See how God's word and his wisdom is so counterintuitive to what the world's is. See the different perspective this gives us on everything we face. This makes us willing and ready to undergo what we are because... We will not gain in righteousness and peace unless we go through this. We must. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And this discipline is no longer punishment for God's people. Christ bore that. This is just training. This is love that we receive, not judgment. So what about today? I haven't addressed this question yet. You may be thinking it. The context of the Hebrews is that they're going through persecutions for their faith. Can we really apply all these things that we're going through to that? Can we apply something like that's such a noble cause, we think. It's for faith, but what about our sometimes what we think is insignificant things? Is this passage really talking to those things? Well, the answer is yes, it is. Because it just said, it says that all God's children undergo discipline. And are we not his children? So yes, what you're going through is correction and training and loving discipleship from your Father in heaven. Obviously, if you're continuing in sin, that's not. But your fight against sin is. These are all proof of our sonship. And the other reason we can be assured that this passage applies to us is that the author of Hebrews is quoting and applying Proverbs 3 to his own day. In the context when Proverbs 3 was written, it didn't didn't make a distinction that this must be persecution for your faith. It must be discipleship for your faith. Otherwise, it doesn't count. No. It's a general statement that the author is applying to his own context. We need to do the same. Proverbs 3 of He's treating us as sons, don't despise it, applies to us as well. And so we have that confidence that we are God's children and He loves us. That our trials are difficult and unpleasant things, and yet through them, we're brought closer to Him. And let's remember that. Let's remember that at this time of year as we head into Good Friday and see what Jesus accomplished, to see what our prime example did. And what he achieved for us. This is what gives us the ability to trust in him. To hope in him. And we need to apply this and say, Children of God, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he receives. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to be our father, to be our parent, to train us, to correct us, to allow us, even at times, to endure persecutions, to endure trials. We pray that our response to these things would be to keep the faith, to, be, to stand firm and endure, as you call us to in Hebrews. Lord, we know that what this life is compared to the one to come is a momentary trial, momentary affliction. Compared to what we will be with you in heaven, it's a snap of our fingers. We pray that you would help us keep this perspective. That you would be with those of us here who are struggling tonight. Those of us who are enduring what seems like we can't endure anymore. We pray that you would remove that trial, but Lord, not before you teach what you are intending to teach through it. And that is our prayer in all of our circumstances. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, would you please stand? We'll be singing How Firm a Foundation.